Listen up or run for cover. Dropping knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. The, the, the real Bradley Bombs is dropping. What it is, Bradley back again with another episode of Dropping Bombs today in the studio, folks. Well, he's not actually in the studio, but we did pipe him in through our interactive Zoom conferencing. Folks, Dr. David Lee. Welcome, Dr. David Lee. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, and you know, I always like the name David Lee because that's my dad's name, David Lee, except for your name's L-E-E and we're L-E-A, which means theoretically we still could be related. That's right. Exactly right. Well, at least you'll remember my name, so we don't have to worry about that. That's right. Now, my now my family history shows that we were originally L-E-E's um, because we were a descendant of Robert E. Lee. Did you know that? I did not know that. And what happened is Robert E. Lee, obviously, you were probably very familiar with the history of the world, um, was considered a traitor. Did you know that? I I did not. Yeah. So he he fought for the opposite. So he was from the North and fought for the South. Or maybe it was the opposite. From the South, fought for the North. No, it was from the North, fought for the South. Anyway, long story short, his family said, man, we don't want to be related to this guy. Everybody hates him because he did the opposite. He's fighting for the other side. And so they changed the name to L-E-A. Oh. And that's where our, our name uh, uh, got ground. Anyway. Very interesting. Folks, for those of you that don't know Dr. Lee, he's an internationally recognized leadership and motivational expert. He speaks all over. He's an author in the field of educational leadership specifically. And he's you know been a teacher, a principal, a superintendent, a state superintendent, all the way up. So basically... You're, you were in control of schools and schooling and things of that nature, correct? That's correct. At all level at one time or the other. And, and now all types of different schools and educational organizations uh, basically come to you to say, hey, you know, how can we improve our education, our processes, our student performance, you know, all of that national uh, recognition, et cetera, et cetera. They come to you and your your organization to 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 basically, you know, hire you and get consultation on how to be better schools. Is that right? That's correct. Everybody's looking for a way to be better at what they do. And uh, what I've been doing over the years is is helping people see things differently, maybe than the way they've been seeing things all along. Um, because as you well know, right now is going to be a very, very trying time for the leaders in our school systems out there. In fact, right now, uh, they're just uh, on a hamster wheel trying to figure out ways to handle the situation. So over the years, I've picked up some maybe some unique ways of, of, of leading people, especially communicating with people. I uh, spent a lot of time trying to motivate people, but it didn't take me long to realize that's a difficult task. I remember the, the, the late Sig Ziglar told me one time, uh, we were, I was speaking on motivation. He was speaking on one of his business um, parts, and he said, uh, I was talking to him about it, and he said, David, it's hard to do what you're doing. And he said, you need to really, really focus on that. He said, because you're, you're spending a lot of time thinking about getting people to be just, just fired up and dynamic in what they do, 
He said, because you wind up motivating people over and over and over and over again. They never make. But if you can focus more on helping them change their lives, change the way they do things, that's where you will benefit. So the last few years, I've kind of gotten away from the hip, hip and the rah, rah deal of getting to the inspirational stage of inspiring people to want to be better than they're doing already. And I found that works better because if you show them maybe a new way of doing things, they get invigorated with that and they do things a lot better than just saying, well, I'm fired up today, fired up today. Um, I know I walked on one of those fire code things that Tony Robbins uh, did one time. I got all excited. I was all fired up on those fire codes. I got burned. It, I mean, not seriously, but I was, I was motivated until the next day or two, and then I fell back into my regular way of doing things. I was motivated, but I wasn't inspired with that particular thing. So working on inspiration, Brad, is a, is a never-ending task right now. Oh, certainly. Here's my question. Why were all the schools caught basically with their hands or, let's say, their pants down with this COVID? I mean, my, even that- my kids go to a private school. And they were caught, basically, didn't know what to do. Teachers didn't know how to use Zoom. Then they used Zoom, then they weren't allowed to use Zoom. It was a mess. And I'm, I'm hearing all over the country, it just wasn't my school. It was all schools, elementary, all the way up to fine, high edu- higher education. Why do you think that was? Well, let me tell you, we, it's, it's – it, sometimes we don't change until a disruption comes. It forces us to change. Like, for example, in our area, in the South, we have hurricanes. And up to the, uh, especially Hurricane Katrina, when it came, it created such havoc that the systems that were in its path have created new ways of, of having things ready in case that happens. This pandemic that we have now has really never happened to us before, so we don't know. We think or we thought we were ready online. Most most systems thought they had everything they needed in the place, but when this thing fell apart, there were big gaps there and some of the big noticeable gaps and what they're finding. And I talk to school leaders all across the country, and it doesn't matter what part of the country you're in. This is universal. They found huge gaps Uh, Number one, they found gaps in students' accessibility to the Internet. They didn't realize that a lot of students didn't have that access. Number two, they found out that they didn't have the computers and the capability of getting online from home. They just assumed that everybody had that, or most of them had it. So there was this big, and that's what we're going to see in the future now. We're going to have this great divide. We have it right now, this instruction that we're missing is going to be crucial. It's detrimental to us because most of the learning that went on since March when it first started and the stay-home orders went into effect, most of the learning has been sort of on-hold learning. It's been just maintaining learning to get by the school year. Now, the real challenge is going to come in August or September when these schools try to open back up and get started again in the process. But the online learning, the, the, it works super for those older students, those middle, upper middle school to the high schoolers. Works works well. It's really, it really doesn't work well in the elementary setting, kindergarten, first, second, third, and those are crucial grades. And if those students miss specific instructional skills at that level, they'll be behind the rest of their educational career. Schools are going to develop systems for doing that. 
because the teacher for tomorrow won't will not have to be great at face-to-face teaching, which they already have to do. Now they've got to be great at face-to-face online or just online. What's the difference? And Well, the face-to-face is just sitting in that classroom and teaching them, just like we're talking about. That online is they're going to be doing Zoom, Google. They're going to be doing all those online activities, which creates a different skill set. It's going because with these, especially the younger children, they need that touch they need that positive uh, yeah, approach. What touch? What touch? Yeah. What touch? Well, when teachers are teaching them face-to-face, they're always walking around saying, you did a great job today. Good job. Good job. You're building them up. You're why moving them up. And why can't you do got, that on Zoom? They can, but it's missing that personal touch, that personal touch. So you like somebody walk by and say, hey, you did a great job today. That means more to you than you telling me I did a great job today. Students have to have that. That's been true since the beginning of time because that's what motivation is. That's what self-motivation is. You need that. Now, it's going to be a big learning curve here because it's going to take these, these teachers and students more time to adjust to this because, I mean, it's a way of doing it, especially this elementary. And I have, I have consulted with major computer companies, software companies that uh, have online learning where you can um, self-pace yourself and catch up in remedial ways and and even advance. But the ones that got the greatest results with their programs were the ones that had a teacher on site to prompt that student, even though it was all online. Now, parents are going to have to assume a greater responsibility in this process of online learning because teachers are not going to be able to do it all there. They simply yeah. can't. Well, out of curiosity, and again, I, if I ever interrupt, I don't mean to, I'm making notes so I don't forget to bring things up because I think this is a very important podcast for people to listen to. And here's why there's a lot of people that are, that are, that are not as um, let's just say confident in our education system. Um, I, I, I if someone asked me, do, do you think I should go to college? My answer would be yes. Why? Not for the education. Okay. For the, for the relationships. For the experience. That's it. Relationship, experience. Education, sure, while you're there. Not necessary, though. How, why is it not necessary? Well, because, again, I don't need teachers touching my children, number one for 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 them to to learn i need the information delivered with repetition i need the testing and the encouraging and that can be done through zoom and when i say zoom i mean online i don't really care if you use zoom go to meeting like those are just choices you could use lightspeed by the way dr lee if if you wanted to train your kids problem is is it's not live now you can stream through lightspeed on you know certain days if you wanted to but to me, anything that you can say in the classroom, you can say online. So I don't, and I'm, and I'm not doubting you. I'm just saying, I don't, if someone told me the reason you bring your kid to a live school is so the teacher can touch them, then I wouldn't bring them to live school at all because I don't want teachers touching my kid. Number two, anything they say at that school, they can say online. The difference is, is those teachers didn't know how to operate Zoom. Those teachers didn't know how to show the, 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 the papers that they were, shouldn't be filling out. They couldn't figure out how to get 
the homework to the student. Because again, weeks, I, I experienced this. We had to go down to the school and grab all the work. So, so she had the work for the teacher. And by the way, now it's starting to get a little better that the teachers, teachers are getting a little more, you know, uh, aware of it. But I don't think the touching part is necessary. I think the, the, the information is necessary, which leads me to this question. Why do you think the curriculum hasn't changed in all these years? When I was a kid, I learned that George Washington had wooden teeth. Did you learn that? I, I'm sorry. You, you, I didn't understand. George Washington what? H- had wooden teeth. Uh, I'd heard that, yes. Yeah. So why was I taught George Washington had wooden teeth? Well, because it probably made uh, the study of George Washington a little more interesting to you. It, it, uh, it, it made him look like uh, someone um, uh, unique that you could remember. And that's that's quality you will always remember about George Washington. Yeah, but why did I have to learn about George Washington? Some people question whether or not those stories that we learned in school are even true or accurate. So, yeah, but, but as far as we know right now, they are accurate. We, we, we to who, though? Speak, yeah. And they're, they're not proven. I want to get back to the point on the touch. All right. On that particular point, in motivation, in, in, in inspiration, and whatever you're doing, now when you say touch, not necessarily physical, touch with the eyes, touch with a, with a positive expression of yes, or, or even a, a good job, it, that's touch. That's touching you mentally. That's, that's, what, that's what they have to have. Up to this point, you see, you mentioned the word curriculum, and that's a good thing. The curriculums that we have right now, anywhere in this country, are as good today as they were 25 years ago. It's not the curriculum that's created our problem. It's the delivery of that curriculum. It's being delivered in so many different formats in so many different ways. One teacher teaching this way, one teacher teaching that way. Students aren't engaged in that lesson. And online learning is an engagement process. And if you don't have the skills to engage those, if it's on Zoom, if it's on some kind of um, uh, uh, video type format, if you can't engage those learners, I don't care if they're, they're by themselves, they're going to go off on you. They, they're going to they're gonna drift off and they'll never, never land on you. But if you've got them in the classroom, you're looking at them and you can see them over there. That's the big change that teachers are going to have to face. And if you put them, and if you put them, if you do a class, in which we do all the time, if you have uh, classes they sign up for, so you've got a group of students in one class, put their own on a video format. So the teacher's teaching that, and uh, I've taught it online as a university professor. You, yeah, you, you've got them sitting out there, and you're teaching it, but you can see, but then you can see some not paying attention. You can see some looking off. You'll see some checking emails. Uh, you're going to have those students uh, um, uh, eating, you're going to see them doing these kinds of things. Whether if they were in the room, it would be different. But the thing is, we've just got to adjust to this new normal, and it can be done. But it's going to be a big learning curve, and we can't expect too much too soon. Because, Fred, that's what we've done in education and all along. We've expected too much too soon. We want quick fixes. And you look at our accountability programs. We have them all the time. You know how many years accountability programs are designed to last? Four years, and that's the length of the term of the politicians in office. Accountability programs are driven politically. Every politician wants to get credit for improving education. And usually when we require them to do something, systems, we require it quickly, 
We want it done now. We want every child on grade level next year. One size, one shoe or one size fits all. Everybody can be on grade level. I can tell you what, they've never been all on grade level. And when I leave this profession, they won't be on all, all won't be on grade level either. But with the accountability, they go from one thing to something else. And these, these teachers and these administrators, that's where this leadership change is going to have to come. They're having to deal with something new along the lines all the time. They're suspending this testing right now statewide, pretty well most states are, and that's to give the systems a chance to get over this hump. But it's going to pick back up. And that's what I've said all along. We, we, we change, we change, we change. A lot of people say, you educators are slow to change. Well, I don't think that's true. We change so much that we're immune to it, that you change this year, you change next year, you change the next year. And then that's what's created a problem in our schools. And our schools have not changed as quickly as we could. Like you said, you made a very good point when you said, why weren't we ready for this? Well, number one, we didn't know it was coming. Number two, we all say, well, we don't have the money to do that. Now they will be if they haven't already started getting an influx of, of, of money coming into their systems. Okay, but so I think they're not. Go ahead. let's talk about money for a minute too, because again, you know, let's take Las Vegas. For, we pay a lot of taxes. Who determines what amount goes to schools? Who determines that? Because whoever determines that in each state needs to be fired. Well, the legislature gives each school system a, a, a certain amount of money. It's not it enough. To, you know, schools are funded in two or three ways. One, one way, they're, they're funded through the state, their taxes and everything. Then they're funded, they get some federal. Yeah, who gets uh, some the, some of the, yeah but Dr. Lee, who gets to decide the amount? Coming from the state, the legislature puts that out. They decide that. Okay, so if the legislators decided that the schools are going to get 10 times more than they do, then they would, correct? Yes. Okay, well then, why don't anyone listening and everyone that you can talk to get involved at the legislator level and start saying, we're not paying our schools enough? Because again, no one's ever asked me how much money should the school get? Because if you ask me, and by the way, you're going to probably hear a tone of I'm against schools and teachers and all this shit, and I'm not. I'm actually the opposite. I think, this is just my opinion, I think schools are, are, are excellent places to send your children, to learn, to interact, to build relationships, to learn some, some um, you know, social skills that you're not going to learn online. But on the other hand, everything you said, I totally don't agree with. I can look at you online and see that you're freaking not paying attention and I can say, Jimmy, Pay attention. And everybody else waits just like I would in class. I can do everything online that I can do in class except physically touch you. Now, it might be different how I do it. I might hit share so everyone can see my board where if you're in the classroom, I just turn on the overhead projector. Well, again, that's just, it's doing the same thing. Everybody look at my sheet. Okay, so I believe, this is just me, you can do everything you can do in a classroom online, everything except physically touch people and uh, develop those social skills. However, I do prefer sending my kid to a school live as opposed to online. I think there should be a blend personally. However, like, like before you get to school, you should already take the lesson. So when I bring the kid to school, the school goes in and interacts with the teacher and asks a bunch of questions. School's got it backwards. They lecture at school and then send the kid home with homework where the parents don't know shit. So, so why, why are you guys talking at the classroom level and then sending them home to do homework? It's, it's, it's the opposite. You should be teaching them at home 
lecturing and then we send them to school with the homework and the questions and the freaking and and you know the teachers there to, to 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 mold and react based on who the kid is and where they're at in in individually because at school if I got to move on to the next class because man hey the semester's over and there's six kids that didn't even understand what I said why am I moving on and flunking the kid like isn't that the teacher's flunk isn't that the teacher's flunk they're the ones that left six kids behind. Well, they're the teacher. They're getting paid. Well, then you look, yeah, but they barely get paid. Okay, that's another thing. Dude, teachers should get 120000 plus a year. A good one I'm talking about. Everybody, in my opinion, is underpaid at the, school, at the schools. They're underpaid. You know, I, I appreciate teachers so much. It's unbelievable. I think they need to get better tools. They need to get better rules. And they need to get better curriculum. Now, the reason I bring up curriculum is because of this. Yes, absolutely. Nope. I agree. Yeah, but show me the curriculum where it teaches a kid how to build a relationship. Show me where it teaches a kid how to close a deal. Tell me where it teaches a kid how to, uh, how to uh, balance a checkbook and take care of their credit. Show me a credit course to where they know how to build credit. Show me a course that shows them how to get a loan for a business. Like, all of this is not taught in our schools, and yeah, that's right. important. That's right. Let me, let me sum that up for you. The systems aren't focusing on that as much, which they should, because remember this. We are test-driven. Our school systems are test-driven. If you don't perform academically, then you're put on some kind of list. You even have state takeovers. Your communities get down on you because we have inferior schools. These schools are struggling just to keep up with these tests. That goes back to accountability again, is that we want quick fixes. We want it done right now. You, this is back in, 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 just to give you an idea of how, idea of how ridiculous this, this can be, but our, nationwide, we accepted this back in 2014 when we had no child left behind, which was an, a, a national accountability program. We, we told the American people that in 2014, every child would be proficient in reading and math. And when 2014 came, they weren't any closer being proficient in reading and math than they were the last 10 years. They're even worse now than they were in 2014 on many of the standards uh, that they're being judged on. So, yeah, now you're very proficient. You are skilled at online. I can tell that right off the bat. I, I knew that from the get-go. But you just remember those teachers out there don't have the luxury of, of having the training and the exposure that you've had. And that's because our systems have not done any of it because they didn't think they'd have to do any of it. But we should have seen it coming that the 20 sitting in a classroom in these neat chairs is really an antiquated system. Thank you. And in and, and the future – School systems are going to have to worry more about bandwidth than they are bricks and mortar in building new buildings because that's where it's going. We have this high dropout rate, and for some reason, we can't figure out why students are dropping out. Can I, I wonder why they don't like school? They, they don't get so well, well we not, but, yeah, but not just that, man. They, they, they worry about social pressure, they worry about getting their ass kicked, they worry about being made fun of, they worry about getting bullying. Where where, where the, the school, and it, again, it's not a teacher's fault, but the school environment has gotten to a point 
where the children don't feel safe, they don't feel secure, and some of the rules are, are, are in my opinion, ridiculously stupid. And I think the, the, the school treats the teachers as the customer rather than the kids. Like, in other words, the kids should be the customer. If, if school was a business, who would be the customer? The kid or the kid's parents, one of the two, but it definitely wouldn't be the teacher. But yet they set up all the rules at the school to make the teachers happy. Well, dude, the teacher is not the customer. The teacher, if this was a business, would be the employee. So the employees come in when we tell you to come in. Like a public school, they start at some ridiculously early hour. Why? Why would they start school so freaking early? What's the answer to that? Well, trying to get the instruction in during the day. And here's the deal. They, they have something called seat time that every state pretty well requires through accreditation and everything else that a student sit in the class a certain amount of time to finish that task. And, but the seat time has been around for the past hundred years. We, we don't seem to get away from that. This is going to take us in a whole new arena. We, we're not going to be worried about how long you're sitting. It's going to be, what are you learning? That's there what we should, yeah, we should have been doing that all the time. We, we can have students who can already master Algebra 1, and you know that within two weeks after school starts, but they've got to sit there for another three months enduring it rather than going on and taking a whole nother course and then challenge them, and then they'll be out. Now we're, cooking, now we're cooking with gas. Now we're talking. This is what I'm talking about. So you being a leader in this industry and you being looked at as an expert, I want you to get fired up and go say this type of crap to the school boards. Like, who's in charge? If it's the legislators, well then, and by the way, if you're like, well, dude, it's just me. Like, I can't do it. We need the whole community. Well, then that's what this whole podcast is about. Anyone listening, like, get pissed off. Get involved at the legislative level. Get involved wherever you need to get involved. These are our children. And, you know, these are our children, are our future. All that's real, dude. These children are going to grow up, and they're going to be making the rules, and they're going to be making the laws, and we're going to have a bunch of freaking entitled idiots walking around not knowing shit. And why? They don't know how to stop bullying because they're, they're, they're worried about a seat time. Like, you know, well, this student has to be in class eight hours a day. Who gives a shit? It's bottom line. You already touched on it. What does the kid know? Because if I can walk in right now and I can pass the bar, okay, give me the exam from Harvard. I don't care. Let me pass the bar. If I can pass the bar and I never went to school, I went into a prison library and read a book. And I'm now capable of answering every question a Harvard graduate or Yale law school graduate can answer. Why can I not have a, why can I not be a lawyer? Why do you worry about where I went to school and who taught me as long as I learned, as long as I know, oh, a doctor. Well, why do I have to, why do I have to go to school to be a doctor? If you're worried about what do I know? Well, then, then test me. If I can pass the test, what, what do you care who taught me? Maybe my grandpa taught me who was the best surgeon in the world and he taught me when I was six to 14. Well, dude, if, if a 14-year-old knows everything a doctor knows and can pass every test a doctor can pass, why can't that kid be a doctor? Oh, no, we need 17 hours per credit, per whatever seat time. I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, it's credits, right? You need all these stupid freaking things that, that are just dumb. And I don't understand why people can't change them. 
Why do you think they won't change? And, that, and by the way, earlier you said that's the problem is, is people think doctors won't change. Well, that's are not doctors, teachers. Well, this is why, because you know that, that seat time's stupid, but what, yet we hold on to it for a hundred years and no one's changing it. Why? Why don't they just change it? It's been brought up. It's been brought up over and over and it always gets pushed to the back burner because we go under the assumption that as long as we do what we've always done, it's worked. But yet we don't look and it's not working. Um, and let me, let me throw out something to you right here and you keep in mind that education works beautifully for students who want to be there, who want to, it works beautifully. Secondly, most of our planned activities, everything we do is geared for the average. For some of those students though, who are really knocking the top off, they're held back sometimes because we don't have the programs available that enable them to go on. For an example, take that child out of algebra, then where do they go? Where do they go? Because you you see that the schedules aren't flexible enough for that student now to go into algebra two, which has already been started the past month while you were wasting time in algebra one, you see, but that's where your own line is going to pick up the slack for that. That's right. Because they can go in there, they can get in there and then they can instantly move right through that program. That has to be done. That's it's, it's holding them back. It's what's creating all the discipline problems. It's creating all these dropout problems that we're having. And I think with this new way of doing online is going to relieve us of a lot of the headaches that we've been doing because we've always done them. But let me tell you something else this is going to do for us. It's going to probably create a big teacher shortage. And um, because... That's, that's a good thing though, right? Well... That creates jobs. Well, it does, but it, you, you're going to have fewer people going into education. This right now has got them all on edge. I, not, I, if I'm you, sure. not if you start paying them 120000 a year. There you go. You won't have a shortage then. You will not have a shortage then, I'll assure you. Okay, so again, the legislators decide, and the people, basically, we the people should be controlling the legislators. They're just our representatives. Um, We as as a company say, or we as a group go to the legislators and say, hey, we want schools to be paid more. Is it a matter of shortage of money or or is it the allocation of money that's the problem? Well, the the number one claim is a shortage of money. Let let me tell you this, and and I know you'll believe it. In several of the states, uh, two or three around us, they... The teachers are asking for a pay raise and they've been waiting for the pay raise and they've been going. Do you know, I think the, in, in one of the States that they're getting $1,100 a year. That's less than a hundred dollars a month, but they've been waiting for three or four promises of the politicians that they'd get a pay raise. So when they get their raises, it's so small. It never, it never happens. So say you're going to get a $10,000 pay. Oh, now, the antenna would go up. Your teacher education programs would start getting more students and the uh, turnover rate of these teachers would not be. But you're right on that. It's going to take money to pay. And parents, I think, now are going to realize what these teachers are having to do. And I think they're going to be a lot more patient with them. And But, but parents have been, you know, they're, they're fairly supportive. But let me tell you the first thing that comes up when you talk about a pay raise, and I'm giving you an inside scoop here. You see, the first thing comes up when a legislature talks about pay raises, they say, well, how much are we going to give those school administrators? We're already paying them. We're paying them too much. 
And then that becomes an issue. And then everybody gets down on that. You've got your top heavy in administrators. And this, and it causes people to back out on supporting something because they throw in those little things. But I can tell you right now, you can't run a school without a leader of that school. You've got to have it. And that leader has to have a support system to be able to get those things done. And see, something else is going to be a deal here. How are we going to supervise the teachers who are teaching online? How are we going to do that? Very simple, because it's all recorded. Yeah, they're going to have to view all of them. That's that's right. Well, just like we hold cops accountable by wearing body cams. But at the end of the day, you know, the body camera uh, footage goes to the cops. Well, that's not really accountability. Let body cameras of police officers go to the public where where the department, the the chief, they don't get to control that footage. Okay. That footage, that footage is gone. So again, you make them wear a camera and then that footage goes to the public. That's accountability. When it comes to the school, again, I I could fix the school in five seconds. Okay. But you, what you already said, the key, the key is, is they're not able to. So a good leader goes into a school and they got this bureaucratic bullshit. They got this hoop. They got to jump through. They got that hoop. They got to jump through. Then this person needs a committee and that committee, you know, meets once a year and people get frustrated. And pretty soon they just get right in the old, let's call it rut of, 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 Oh, whatever. You know, I can't make a difference here. I think I can go affect any school because I'm walking in there, not knowing all this stupidity that these in the superintendents realizes there. Like, for example, why do you send me home? Why do you send your kid, my kid, home with a list of things to go run around the town and buy? Like, why would you send me home a list for me to get in my car, waste gas, time, and money to go get my kid school supplies? Why wouldn't you just send me home the freaking amount you want me to pay and have the school supplies there? When my kid gets there, number one, you can make money on school supplies instead of making my kid go sell your damn candy bars. Okay. Like I had to do, you know, you don't have to cut the music class because you do have money. Number one, how much money I've never been asked for money from my school other than a fundraiser, you know, come to my bank sale. We're trying to raise money to send our kids to Washington DC. So we go to the bake sale and guess what? All you're supposed to do is buy cupcakes How come no one's ever said, hey, listen, there's 6,000 parents at this school, and if each one of us give us $10 right now, we're able to to get better teachers, and this year will be better. And then all the the, the, uh, students, parents, pay the freaking difference. I would pay $10, $100, $200. I'm going to a private school, okay? Why? Because public schools suck, Dr. Lee. They're they suck. They're, they're, they're not, they're, they're overpopulated, number one. They're not safe, number two. They don't treat our kids like customers. They treat our kids like crap, okay, right? They don't vet teachers very well either. You got the pervy teachers. Of course, I mean, again, there's pervy priests and pervy cops and pervy everybody, but at the end of the day, we're not vetting the teachers very well. Why? Well, dude, nobody wants to be a teacher. You guys make chump change. But let me ask you a question. What's the salary of a principal on an average school? I'd say 80. Okay. That should be a teacher's salary, not a principal's salary. That's right. That's right. Okay. Now, yeah. now again, you, you're, you're a brand new teacher, just got out of college, just got your credentials. Good. You're going to start out at 60. 
And guess what? If you last two or three years, you're going to be up to 80. And if you last 10 years, you're going to start being at a buck 20. Now a principal, dude, that's a, that's a leader. Okay. A principal that runs the school, that's a business person. That's not just somebody that was there long enough. It's somebody that can make money and, and, and the school successful and attract and lead and build a culture where people are fighting to get in your school. Well, then the public, yeah, then the public school, it's like, well, we're not allowed to charge. Why are you not allowed to charge? That's the stupidest rule I've ever heard. If my kid wants to go to Durango High School here in Las Vegas, everybody wants to go to Durango. You have to live in this area to go to Durango. And then we can't charge if you don't want to, uh, if you want to come to Durango, but you live in Henderson. Why wouldn't, a, why wouldn't a public school have the ability to be a privately, I mean, a public school that gets paid? In other words, hey, I love your school, Dr. Lee. I love what you're teaching your kids. I love the cleanliness. I, lo- I love the safety. I love the sports program. I love your coaches. I love this place. Good. It's $12,000 a year and your kid can come to this school. I don't care where you live. And by the way, the more paid customers we have, the less actual free customers we have. And now all of a sudden that, that school becomes private. I think the whole goal in life should be to make all public schools private, but, but, but by demand. So in other words, if you don't have any money, you go to, you go to that school. But if you live in a neighborhood where all the, the seats in that school are filled, right? Listen to me. All the seats in that school are filled by paying customers. Then your kid has to go to the next school, we'll build down the block. Why? Because we got so much money, let's build another school. And now, now it's free. And it's free until, guess what? Everybody's willing to pay. Why are they willing to pay? Best teachers, best safety record, best education, best sports program. And now you're going to create what's called, you know, it's almost a business. You're going to create that culture and that business environment and, and you're going to get rid of this, this bureaucracy bullshit. How much does a superintendent get paid? on average? Well, in the larger systems, um, say uh, right there in Las Vegas, uh, it, it could be 350000 uh, 400 It could be in that range. In the majority of the di- districts, 200 something like one, 175 to 200 Okay, now, not, nothing against superintendents because I'm sure there's good ones. But, dude, that's a huge gap, dude. That's a huge gap. The teachers on the front line doing the work are getting paid chump change, and a, and a superintendent that doesn't really do much is getting four hundred. Why? Well, because let's transfer that over and think of a business there. Think of a business who has uh, twenty five, or say, let's say a large system that has seventy five thousand students. Yep. They have thirty five thousand employees. Yep. No matter what organization that is, those are a lot of, of, of people to be, be responsible for. So if, the, if, the, if you know, a system had that many people in a typical business, that CEO would probably make a million uh, or, or with, with 35,000 employees and, and, uh, or, or that. No. So when, when you equate it and see that responsibility doesn't stop there. And yeah, I that, can tell you pardon the ceo if if all our schools were businesses the ceos would be fired like in other words if i owned this the, these public schools well, around so, here i'd fire them i'd fire them they they're not running the business very well i'd fire them i don't care how many employees i got the employees are free by the way because you know the students aren't employees the students are our customers 
The teachers yeah, would, but the teachers don't. Okay, well, the teachers would be employees. So the so the teachers would be well paid, well trained, well, uh, uh, you know, supported employees. And if they aren't well paid, well supported, whose fault is it? Wouldn't it be the boss? The 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 superintendent has very little to do with these increases of salaries of the teachers now. Because the system is designed, uh, you know, the money's coming in from the from two or three different sources, and they do have control on how that money is allocated once it comes into the system. So if they have pay raises coming in, very very seldom, unless systems have big tax support bases, do they give local raises. Most of the raises that come are state raises, but but uh, some districts have wealth and the they can afford to give more money because see every state gives every teacher the same thing. If you've taught, if you have a bachelor's degree and you've taught three years, say in the, in, in the States, they give every teacher who has a mass, a bachelor's degree and had taught three years, the same amount, but the districts pay more than that. That's, that's what they call the minimum. They, they always pay the minimum. So they might give uh, say, $28,000 to the uh, per teacher to the district, but the district might kick it up 10 more thousand per teacher based on their local tax rate. And then that causes to be 38 starting rather than to, and see that uh, again, the, the discretion is kind of, is, is kind of is vague there uh, with it. But I agree with you. If you paid the teachers more, you wouldn't have the teacher shortage you had. There is a huge gap between what the top gets and what the bottom gets. And there, again, there's where you have your morale. That's where you have your lack of motivation and the lack of inspiration that happens in that process. Um, I, I had a thought about when, what you were saying about the, 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 uh, the public schools. Um, uh, oh, about att attendance zones. We have just previously, uh, a few years ago, Every, every school had their attendance zone. So if you didn't live within that attendance zone, then you couldn't go to school there. But some of the accountability th um, uh, policies that have come out says that every child deserves to be able to go to the best school that they have access to. So in your particular school system, you might, high school A might not be near as good as high school C. So they can go to high school C if, un if the high school A is underachieving. They can go over, but what you're going to see with the with this new deal we got going is these attendance lines are going to be evaporating, which that's going to be a good thing. And some schools do allow uh, uh, parents who want their children to go over there. They have a certain tuition they can charge them. They can charge them to do that because that justifies to the taxpayers that you're not coming over here free. Our people, the people who live within this district, are paying those taxes, so therefore. The district you live in might not pay as many taxes over there as they do over here. So that's equalizing that. And but a lot of that's done through athletics too. That that happens a lot. You 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 see that would be the prime motivator of students moving from district to school to school in a particular district. Well, if you ask me, there's a bunch of bureaucratic, old school, antiquated rules that nobody's willing to step up and break because it's the it's the old government type bureaucracy where if a person that really cared, like let's call him a JFK, 
let's say Dr. Lee's the new JFK of the school, the school world, and you start piping up like I am right now, like you start saying the shit I'm saying in these meetings and you're getting all angry and you're like, dude, this is common sense. Like this is bullshit. We should, you'd get fired, wouldn't you? Which, uh, probably so. Which means that they don't really want to fix it, do they? Well, let me, let me throw in another layer. Every school district has a school board. That's the governance structure, policy. Superintendents can only do so much if the local boards won't go along with it. Okay, so, so the board's in charge. Pardon? The board is in charge. The board is, is, is basically the governing uh, body of the system. So, yeah, they are. The school board determines the success or failure of that school system, to lay it out here plainly for you. The reason they do that, school boards hire only one person, and that's the superintendent of schools. And if they make a mistake in hiring a good superintendent, all the working underneath will get them nowhere. If, if you don't have leadership at the top, it's not going to happen at the bottom. It's simply not going to – the school districts that are performing well right now have good leaders in place. That school board has made sure a good leader has been put there. And then number two, they have given them the authority to do things that make a difference rather than having to double-check, double-check, because school boards tend to go with what the general communities have always done. That's where your, that's where your status quo creeps in because they're usually from members of that community and they have been there. And we, so when someone comes in, a leader at the top says, let's go here. Well, we never have done that before. Our people might not be used to that. That might won't happen here. So you start the slowing down process. So I'm saying if superintendent, you've got to have a board in place. You've got to have governmental because when you deal with funds, when you deal with all that, you have to have something in place. Many of the superintendents out there right now are mavericks. They, they would do exactly what you're saying. They would, they would move these kids on without a shadow of a doubt. But they hear that saw cutting that limb off they're sitting on behind them. And they know they'll lose their job if, they, if they're persistent and they don't pull their board along with them. Okay, so, so that's another thing. All right. So again, I'm a, I'm a problem solver. So, so as you're talking, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, because again, I want to get to the source of the problem. now. Yeah, I always say, look, who's the boss? Because when it boils down to it, dude, the boss is usually the problem. Now, when it becomes a board, that's not an individual. So it's, I, I, hate, I hate boards only because, you know, it, there's no individual to blame. However, a board as an individual, let's say, hey, look, it's majority vote wins and that's that. So if the board's, you know, bad or good, it's, it's the majority that's bad or good. So at the end of the day, it sounds to me, like the board is in charge. So therefore, my question is, how do we vet the board members and how do we vote the board members? How does a board member get a seat? Well, what they do is that uh, some board members are appointed, some board members are elected. Those that are appointed are usually appointed by the mayor, the city council, uh, a local governing authority in those particular areas. And then there are those that are, are elected. So what they do, if, if they're appointed, obviously they do the political groundwork to uh, get someone in charge to appoint them. Or number two, they get out, they announce that they're running for that position, and they get out and spend untold. Uh, uh, Brett, I, I saw recently in, in a local school system, the system was not that large, 
where one school board member spent over $200,000 of their own money to get elected. And that system, there is no salary for a school board member in that particular area. Now, you know what? It makes you wonder. Yes. That, that's because I would bet you that they want the power. Yeah, they, they, they want the power because they'll use that as a stepping stone to something else. Mm-hmm. They, they, they want to run for mayor. They want to run for city councilman or something along those lines. So they want to get on that board, and then they use that board as a political platform to get their ideas across. And if they think any the, the leader is going to do anything that's going to make them make – upset things, upset the status quo, then they want to hold that back because they don't want to create any havoc uh, in that system. That's just another layer. Um, it works beautifully to move them on. I, I've, I've said it for, for years and years and years. But I, I, And, and I'm, I'm sort of glad that we're – and I've said for years we're going to have a disruption in education, but I didn't know it was going to be this uh, health disruption. I would have thought more – of some key leaders, strong leaders out there coming out with ideas that would change things. Take accountability plans, for an example. I go back to every four years. That's the length of the plan. And they want to change and go to another one. What happens with accountability plans, and you can always remember this, and and, and legislatures across the country need to, to look at this, but accountability plans are often thought up quickly, like a year, within a year. And then when, when that happens, then every school district in the country has to implement. That's your first sign that it's not going to go well. That's what's happening right now with our Common Core. Number two is that when you see an accountability plan developed, when you don't have a large number of teachers and school administrators on it, it's, it's, it's dead on arrival. That's what happened with our recent one. Very little teacher input that would be affecting students nationwide. And one other thing that legislators can do is to say on these mandates that they put out there on those school systems, don't require every system to implement it unless you know it works, unless it has a proven record of working. Because we're experimenting with these children. I'm telling you what, I'm surprised some of them can read and write. We change the way they're taught all the time. We get new math. What was wrong with the old math? We got new this. Transformational English. Uh, we go from one thing to something else. And you've got students right now in math. If they go from one system to the other, they might not have a clue. But that other system over there, how they're, how they're doing that. So it's a, it's a long, tedious process in making these changes. But this disruption right now enables us to make changes that we needed to make for the past hundred years. We can now do it because people are not sure exactly how to do it. And it's going to work well. Well, good, man. Cause I'll tell you my, I, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about trying to fix education. I think the problem with education is we treat all the kids the same when they're not, they're not the same. Some people learn faster. Some people learn slower. Some kids are more athletically gifted. Some people are more uh, uh, academically gifted. You know, some teachers are better. Some teachers are not. It's like some principles are crooked and some principles aren't. So you're never going to get rid of all that. But we can change what I consider the public education system. Number one, let's look at the curriculum. Okay. You know, I learned to freaking use a protractor. I had to. I've never used a protractor in my life. 
who the hell uses protractors? Okay, so guess what? Let's say someone says, well, if you're in construction and you're an architect or you know, you're in this field, then, you, then you, you, you would use one. Okay, well, then let's teach whoever wants to go in that field how to use a protractor. You don't make every kid learn that shit. You know, reading, writing, arithmetic, it, the difference between Common Core and, and STEAM Again, most parents aren't even aware. Like, I didn't even realize until I saw a few videos that schools changed how we learned math. Thankfully, my kid doesn't go to a public school. Otherwise, their answer would be marked wrong, even if it's right, because they didn't write the 161 steps necessary to prove that you figured out the answer the way they want you to figure out the answer. Now, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. If my kid, knows the answer to all of your questions, regardless of how they know it, bar cheating, of course. Who gives a shit if, if, if she did it in six steps or 60,000 steps, as long as she knows math? Like, I want this little kid to know math. Why? Well, because math comes in handy. That's one of the basics, reading, writing, you know, arithmetic, science, basic science. The rest, based on the kid. I think, the, I think the problem is that the curriculum's antiquated. I think we don't care who it is. It's one size fits all. And I think there's too much bureaucracy and not enough business. The, each school should be a business, independent of the next school. Like if I give you this school, Dr. Lee, I say, you come run this school right here. You're the board. You're the one responsible. You decide. I don't need no board telling me what to do. If you want me to change a school, I'm not listening to a board. Does that board work at the school? Like who, who the hell is that board? Like, for example, I'll give you a perfect example. Companies used to pay me to come in and fix their sales problem. And they would say, okay, Brad, you can come in here and it's your, it's your, it's your show. All these employees and all this budget and everything's yours. And then they would say, like some of them would say, but you can't do this, 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 and this. And then I would say, I'm not interested. They'd be like, what do you mean? Dude, you can't put cement shoes, tie my hands behind my back, and then tell me to swim a freaking, you know, swim competition. You want me to swim? You want to win the race? Then unleash me, and I'll win you the race. But I'm not going to win the race with all your stupid rules. And guess what? A lot of them said, well, then I'm not hiring you. Well, good. Then don't hire me. But at the end of the day, you want to win the race or not. When it comes to education, Dr. Lee, we should want to win the race. We shouldn't be worried about whose rules, uh, whose feelings got hurt, you know, whose 60-year-old curriculum is going to get offended if we change it. Like kids nowadays need to learn new shit. They need to learn new shit. This is a new world. Do we want to we we teach them and prepare them for success or do we want to check a box? Because right now, dude, there are people graduating that are getting jobs at McDonald's. They're graduates. They're high school graduates. They're college graduates and they can't find a job. They're graduates. Okay, so that tells you that graduate doesn't mean shit. Okay, well, why wouldn't it mean anything? I'll tell you why. Because that, that means that my education is not being applied or valued by the marketplace. Because if I just went and hired a guy that, that was the best marketer on the planet and can triple my business, where'd he learn that? High school. I don't give a shit where he learned it. How, you know, and the kids, by the way, they, they, they know the most because it's the... It's the you know, the, the latest and greatest. Why, why wouldn't high school be teaching marketing? Why wouldn't high school be teaching these things that people need to survive and to win? Because we're not looking to make them succeed. What are we trying to accomplish then? 
What do you think? Because, and you are right on point. I agree with everything you said. We lack the flexibility to do that. And like, for example, a student who is going into the world of work, just say they want to be a, an electrician or a welder. When they get out of 12th grade, they should be able to go right on in and get a job as a welder. They should have already passed those tests. They should have already done it. Why sit up there and waste three years waiting to go? Then they, many of them have to go to a community college to take a course in welding to be able to uh, then go to work as a welder, which they're going to do. We should start identifying that. Now, let me tell you, we, we did years ago, uh, years ago we, we, we sort of separated we, we put a lot of emphasis in vocational. and then, But then we got a lot of flack from the academic world of saying that we're limiting these children, that we, we're identifying them too early who want to be welders, that they need to have the, the same opportunity to go to Harvard and Yale and, and wherever they want to go as someone else. That was never into that equation, but the public perceived if their child was in vocational education, they were getting an inferior education because the only good education was an education preparing you to go to college. And we know that they're not going. And we know that colleges are accepting tuition every year for students they know won't last over one semester. We know that from their academic background. Instead of doing that, we take that in hope we just hope that works. So, yeah, they, the jobs in the future are going to be fewer and fewer, those with that college degree, but they're going to need the skill. They're going to need that skill. And we need to start exposing them to these skills at a much earlier age than we're doing it right now because that's where they're going to make their living. And they can make a good living at it. You try to get a, an electrician or a, a plumber or someone and see if that's not a pretty good deal. Yeah, dude. Um, so or how about someone that, that knows how to weld, but, but is also taught entrepreneurialism to where now they just built the biggest welding company on earth and makes billions of dollars. See, they're taught to weld, but they're not taught how to generate, uh, like I said, become entrepreneurs out of that process. Uh, it's like a guy uh, told me not long ago, he, he has a huge company of uh, uh, excavating land with dozers and big equipment. And he said he started out with one dozer and he said, David, if I hadn't gotten off that dozer myself and started looking for ways to increase my business, because then I got the idea if I could get two dozers, then I could get three dozers, then I could get four dozers. That's entrepreneur. We don't teach people to do that. Many of them have to find out on their own. And Brad, unfortunately, it's oftentimes too late. By the time they find out it's too late, they've missed a lifetime of, of rewards they could have had if they had known how to do it. But we're not teaching them how we just teach them a skill and that's it. But how to multiply that skill, how to turn it into a really, really big entrepreneurial activity. And you're right. I agree with you 100%. Uh, and hopefully, and we've been talking about this for some time, but it never happens. We, we just never. Now, some school systems do a, a better job at that than others. Uh, and, 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 and I certainly admire them for that. But uh, so many and the, and the large majority are not. I, c I can tell you that from experience. They just uh, uh, get through school, get your high school diploma, and like you say, then many of them can't pass the test at McDonald's uh, when they get out. Okay, so tell me, 
if I'm a teacher, superintendent, principal, and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, dude, I love Dr. Lee. I love everything he's saying. Brad Lee is freaking dead balls accurate. What can I do about it as a teacher, a superintendent or anything? What can I do about it? First thing I would do as a superintendent is to realize that you have the power to make some big things happen in your system. You can make those things happen. You can't use that board as an excuse. Work with that board. Show them that what you're planning to do, and that separates the real skill leaders from the unskilled leaders. You got is that they don't. The unskilled leaders don't have the capacity to bring people. They just want to do it themselves, or they just want to push it through. But now's the time for the leader to start exerting the kind of. Uh, uh, effort that we've been talking about here. They know that if we had a room full of superintendents, uh, Brad, right now in here, they'd all be going, Hey, I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. And they just need to start taking some action, start moving in that direction and, and stop worrying so much about being popular and doing things what's right. Because if you do what's right after a while, you become popular. But up to that point, it can be some lonely days and lonely nights for that. I had a charter school one time under the jurisdiction of my school system, which was not popular at that time. But I did it because I wanted to control how we operated the charter. We did that. We, we educated people. We, we, we worked with business and industry, and they were telling me that you've got people coming out that can't pass tests to get a job, the basic minimal skill test to get jobs. And I said, what if we can fix that for you? What if we can take them back? We'll bring them back in our system. We're guaranteeing that diploma. We'll bring them back. I don't care if they're 45, 50 years old. If they can't pass a basic test to get a job, we will educate them for free for you. And we started bringing them back. They started passing these tests, and people started getting more employable. It's not the fact that it's just that they're not employable. That's the deal. They don't have a skill set that makes them employable. That's why I tell principals and superintendents all the time, how attractive is your system? You know, if you're sitting around and your system's not attractive, you're not going to draw the human capital necessary to take you to the next level. You'll always be where you are. You're not going anywhere. So you've got to increase your attractiveness factor if you're going to make that work for you and surround yourself with some really, really good people. That's, that's the key to moving these systems forward is, is to be able to, is to just surround yourself. Because, you know, one good thing research tells us about that, the more you love what you do, the fewer people around you, you need to motivate you. So you don't need somebody all the time because you love what you do. That's who you want around you. But some leaders just refuse. They, they buckle down to politics. They buckle down to this. They, they buckle under every time something comes up. And they think charisma alone, one person alone, is going to take them to the next level. When you're dealing with that many people, it takes a good group of people around you to make that happen. And I think that's what, what school leaders can do right now is start seeking better people to help you because if you've got a staff of marginal teachers, all you're going to get is marginal results. Mm. You, you can push it every once in a while. Something might jump out. It's like a, it's like a tornado. Every once in a while, something, something will fall out and get you a result. Very, very rarely, very rarely. You can't, you can't bet your career on it. You want to have those people out there that you know, that's going to do it. And then I go back to how are we going to supervise our teachers online? When you've got those good ones, that, that doesn't really become an issue. 
doesn't become one at all. So if I'm listening and I get active and I want to learn more, is, is Dr. Lee on demand training to teach those? Yes, we do. And the on-demand training right now is intended, number one, to train, but also to inspire. Because at a time when we, we need some inspiration, we, we, we feel like things are all closing in on us and we're dealing with things we've never dealt with before. But coming at it from, a, from an inspirational perspective, you can see what others aren't seeing. It enables you to clear your vision. It enables you to see those things. You're not, you don't have blinders on but by what's always been done. Because look behind you, because a lot of what we've done hasn't worked well. And all this is building up on us. As the needs of the students change, our delivery has to change. Our curriculum has to change. We know one thing about students right now. We know one thing is that students have short attention spans. We know that without a shadow of a doubt. So our instruction has got to be geared to kind of keep those attention spans picked up, keep going, keep going, whether it's online, whether it's face-to-face or wherever it is. Um, those are the kind of key things that we've got to focus on if we're going to make that change. But, but seeing what's, what's, what's not working and have the intestinal fortitude to say, we're changing it. Um, I, I, you know, a novel idea a few years ago, we heard a, a principal say one time, I don't care what we have to do if a student is in the eighth grade and they can't add, subtract, multiply, and divide, we're going to keep them in math longer and longer and longer. Doesn't that make sense? Don't, you, you're not going anywhere. They got all kind of flack for that. They got all kind of accreditation issues involved in that of saying, no, you can't do that. So what you have to do is you have to hold them back. And research clearly shows you if you hold a child back over two years, you're going to reach minimum results. And keep in mind this, if a child is two grade levels behind in the eighth grade, by the time they get to high school, they'll be uh, not, not only with, with – they'll be dumber more than smarter. It's yeah, because but- the units kick in up there, and they'll start getting more and more and more and more behind. Yeah, but like, for example – I go in and take a school all the way, all the way to college. Doesn't really matter. All I'm saying is like nine o'clock we're doing math, math from kindergarten all the way to freaking 12th grade, all the way to freaking, you know, Greek calculus. Like I don't really care all the way to calculus. What's even beyond that quadratic equations? Like who, who knows kindergarten all the way nine o'clock. That's math. That way grades are not what's controlling things subjects are like for example my five-year-old could be in third grade math kindergarten reading see what i'm saying because right now it's like oh we got to hold her back a grade well due to her friends and her and and the social and the embarrassment now she wants to drop out of school like why would you hold her back like listen if i'm going to school and i need to learn math if it takes me to 17 years old to understand second grade math don't keep me in second grade i'm a 17 year old keep me in second grade math and then over here i'm 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 a i'm a college graduate in this in this you know discipline let's call it so so there's other ways to do it it's just nobody can do the change so Dr. Leon Demand, folks, if you're listening, you want to figure out ways to get inspired and learn different ways to lead and make a difference in your school, I think you should go check that out. You can also, you know, obviously look, Google up Dr. Lee and have a conversation with him. But if, what if they're a parent and a supporter like me, like I'm, I'm boisterous when I'm on my podcast, but as soon as I get off this, 
I don't even do anything. Why? Because I always think, eh, you're never going to get anywhere. Now, if someone told me how to hold the school boards accountable or how to get involved with the voting of the school board members, like in other words, show me the boss and I'll, and, and I'll get involved, but I'm not going to go sit there and rally the teachers. Why? Well, dude, they're not in charge. Teachers aren't in charge. And then you go to the principal. Ah, principal's not in charge. Well, then you go to the superintendent. Oh, sorry. Superintendent's not really in charge. Well, then you go to the school board. Oh, sorry. School board's not in charge. Who the hell's in charge? Who's in charge? School board? Period. Is that where the buck stops? The, the school board is the top layer. The buck stops right there. But right under that is the school leader, the CEO, so the, governor, the superintendent. So the governor can't uh, yeah, control yeah. the school board? No, not at all. So if the school board the school decides, board if school boards decide that we want to allow nudity at that school, obviously I'm using that as an extreme to make my point, but we don't want to break laws. But my point is, if that school board decides something, then this school district that I'm the board over can do it. Nobody can stop a school board. Unless there's a state law that prevents it. Of course. Uh, if state law prevented that, the nudity you just mentioned as, as an example, no. But if the, if it, the state law didn't prohibit it, if the school board wanted to do it and if they approved it, yes. Okay, so, so folks, that, if, you're, if you're upset at a teacher, you're upset at a school, you're upset at a principal, you're upset at a superintendent, you're misdirecting your upsetness. You need to go to the school board because if you're upset for the superintendent or the teacher or someone below them and it's legit, they're the ones that are causing it, the school board is who you need to tell. And if they're not in control, the school board is who you need to tell. So instead of sitting there worrying about calling the principal, I'm going to call the teacher, call the school board from now on. What would you say about that? Here's the chain of command that I think they should go through. If it's a problem with the teacher, go to the principal because that that's the boss of those teachers and the principal most of the time can fix it most of the time okay. in the event that in the event if you're having problems with the principal then the superintendent's where you go then and the superintendent layer should be able to resolve those issues and they can 95 percent of the time they'll they'll resolve them okay but in the event they don't in the event that the situation worsens then the school board is the next place and then and that's the final that's where the buck stops, folks. So school board, I appreciate that information. And let me tell you something. I didn't even know that. So if I were listening to this podcast, I might think to myself, damn, I might want to get a little more involved in figuring out who's on our school board. You better. Like right now, That's I don't know who's on our school board. I don't know who, and by the way, is a private school got a board or no? Yes, they so, do. So do they, have to, do they have to abide by the school, the public school boards or no? No, no. Okay, good. But they're they got, not, but they got their own school boards. That's right. Interesting. So I'm going to go to the right. school board and you find made, out. Yeah, you made a good point there. First of all, you made a good point back. I took note of it. You said one thing you don't like about boards is, is that uh, there's no individual to blame. That is spot on right there. That's the problem with it. You blame a bunch of people rather than just one. If you had one to blame, that's that's the deal. But um, uh, with the, with the school boards um, uh, like they are, again, find out. You'd be surprised the number of people again who can't tell you who their board member is. I couldn't. You need to know that. And I'm I'm honest with you. Those board members are as important as the sheriff, as the mayor, 
because they control the direction of your child or grandchild's education. They control that. That's important. They control the greatest commodity that a parent has or a grandparent or a family member. They control that. That's right. So why wouldn't you know them? Uh, I know them first name basis. And uh, because they can give you some inside information on, on what's going on and why they're not doing things and, uh, and things like that. But uh, that'd be a good, good task. Dude, I'm going to, I know I only asked you to come here for an hour. We're over that. So I'm going to be respectful of your time, but I'm going to ask you to come back for a part two next time though, in the studio, actual studio. So you don't have the, the audio problems that, that, that I keep hearing. I, I apologize for that. We're going through zoom folks. I think one thing that we learned right now is the COVID-19 pandemic turned out to be a blessing because I think what it's really doing for a lot of people that are considered quote unquote awakening, awakening is it's starting to teach everybody how important getting involved in your local politics, politics, the, the local elections are. I've, I didn't realize how important it was to, 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 to elect people like whatever, you know, I see the signs all over, you know, so-and-so for district this and so-and-so for Senate that, you know, one, one time my assistant won Senator of district 19 and I'm thinking, dude, this, she was my assistant. She has no experience. She has, she, she, she has no specialized knowledge, but again, I don't hate on people. So I'm like, good for you, man. He won Senator. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, now that I'm looking at it, I'm like COVID-19 made me realize with these governors acting like they're our rulers when they're our representatives, when, when, when these mayors are acting like tyrants, when it's like, who the hell elected these people? And then I thought to myself, well, I didn't, I wouldn't, I didn't take any action. I didn't get involved at all. I, you know, I might've voted for a president and not really did my due diligence. I heard a couple speeches and said, ah, I'm going to vote for this person. So folks think about how important, our elections actually are and our appointments. Because if we can hold our government accountable, whether it's at a state or local level, that's the way it was designed. The school boards should be listening to the parents and we know they're not because all the parents are always pissed off. Well, how can all the parents disagree, but yet the board thumb their nose at the parents? Well, that's because the board's in control, not the parents. The parents are in control of who's on the board and we're missing that part. We're, 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 we're wasting an opportunity to get involved. Anyway, doctor, right. I appreciate your time today, man. Thank you. And folks, if you guys uh, want to see more Dr. Lee, go to at, and by the way, I noticed that you didn't have an Instagram. I'm like, dang, dude, how do you not have an Instagram? I'm going to, I, I'm starting one. Okay. Well, if you guys want to follow him right now, go on Twitter that's where the intellects are anyway, at Lee Motivation, L-E-E Motivation, at Lee Motivation on Twitter. You can Google him, Dr. David Lee with an L-E-E. He pops up everywhere. And, uh, you know, reach out to him, hashtag Bob Squad, so he knows you, uh, you, 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 you heard him from here. And then go check out Dr. Lee On Demand, man. Get your, get your local school boards to be aware of it. You know, if you're a parent and you're listening to this, you're like, well, I don't, I don't know anything. Dude, text the school board. Send an email to the school board about Dr. Lee On Demand. And as always, share this out because someone you know may need to hear it and just keep it real. This is Dropping Bombs with The Real Bradley. Subscribe at DroppingBombs.com.